Hello and welcome to Coffee with Conservationists, the podcast where I sit down with conservationists, ecologists, wildlife filmmakers, activists, or really anyone who dedicates their life to helping nature. I talk to them about their work in wildlife conservation, human and wildlife coexistence, community projects, and worldwide environmental issues. You can find out all about the reasoning behind the Coffee Connection and plenty of other interesting content on my Instagram at Coffee with Conservationists. Today we're featuring Triple Co Coffee. At the end of this episode, I'll be talking about them and how you can support them. So this is the last episode of Season 2, and in this episode I talk to Tolga Atkus. Tolga is a conservation biologist, writer and environmental photojournalist. We talk about his work with African wild dogs, soil health and science, connecting kids with nature, and more. Hi Tolga, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to come and talk to me. Uh, we'll start it off by, we get, usually get to get to know our guests, their kind of um, origin story, I guess, in nature. So could you tell me a bit about you and where your interest in the natural world first started? Yeah, so um, my name is Tolga Akkas. Um, I'm a conservation biologist, writer, environmental photojournalist, and I guess the biggest role or my main aim with my roles is to connect people to to nature to make them more aware of the natural world the environment and just fundamentally just make them care about it um we're very privileged to be here um but we get distracted with our daily lives and many other contributing factors so it's easy to to miss the beauty and I guess I just want to touch up on the important issues that get missed and just make people care about it, I guess. Um, my interest in the natural world started when I was pretty much in Cyprus with my, my family. So um, my dad's from the Turkish side of Cyprus and we used to always go there during the summer holidays when I was a kid. And I just really loved going there. We was exposed to nature because we lived in a village. Um, my uncle had farm livestock. So I was just always out in the dirt and, you know, catching insects, watching lizards. So I think my interest for nature started when my parents really took me over to overseas, really. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, I think a lot of people uh, who I've spoken to, I always ask everyone the same question question at the beginning and it's it's got so many different responses but always obviously you know everyone's going to have a different story but um so many people have been able to link it back to a childhood fascination with nature and and sort of that natural curiosity and I'll, I'll talk a bit about that later on but um I kind of want to fast forward to uh your first uni days now um which I, I know this is very hard to kind of um it's pretty impossible to squash down an entire degree into a few minutes uh but i was really interested by your work with african wild dogs and lions if you could try and kind of like summarize that briefly could you could you sort of give us a rundown of what your research there and with those species was all about yeah it's it's actually a funny one with the, the wild dog and lion story so um i was actually meant to you know, go to Thailand and work with Asiatic wild dogs. So completely different species um, in comparison to the African wild dogs. 
So um, mm. my interest in Canids started in 2016. And I was at a wolf sanctuary in Reading and I was volunteering and just learning about wolf conservation all around the world. And I was just so intrigued with like how wolves interact with one another, you know, their behavior, their ecology, and, you know, and overall their conservation. So I was like, wow, this is such a beautiful animal. Let me learn more about what other canids are out there in the wild, you know, their conservation. And I was doing some research and I found like Asiatic wild dogs. So um, once I got to uni, I was looking at projects like where could I um, volunteer my efforts, you know, make sure my, my funding goes towards a reputable organization. And I found, I think it was Earthwatch Institute. And I was really, really psyched to go on this project during uni. But the only problem was their project dates were, um, you know, clashing with my exams. And I don't know if you know, or you experience this yourself, but exams are usually around like January, February. So um, that's when the project dates were. And I was like, nah, I can't, it won't happen. <laughs> so um, I had to completely abandon that. And I just searched further. And I found like a project in South Africa that was working with African wild dogs. So um, I look back to my younger days where, you know, I was saving up my money in a little watch tin to go to South Africa. And <laughs> it just, it just added up. I was like, yes, I've got to work with this animal. They're endangered. They need more people um, telling their story. So um, I ended up you know, going to South Africa with an organization called Wildlife Act during my first year of uni, completely volunteering um, off of my own back. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I fell in love with the species. I fell in love with the country. And I, I just wanted to do every bit I could to just promote their conservation, um, to help out the organization that are working tirelessly every day to protect such species. And I told myself, you know what, I'm going to come back the following year to, to do my research. So um, I pitched an idea to the research coordinator and said, you know what, I'm, I would love to, to do a dissertation on you know, the wild dogs that you have here and even the lions, because I fell in love with them too. And yeah, it just kicked off from there. They was interested and I found myself there the following year and I just done my research. Sounds fantastic. Um, it sounds really, it's really interesting to hear about your connection to the wolf sanctuary as well, because I'm, I'm actually from Reading, so I know that place very well and that okay. kind of area. Um, and so that was really interesting to to know. And yeah, definitely with the um, African wild dogs obviously being so endangered, um, it's, yeah, research like that is is really, really important. Um, and I think kind of taking it to a, a different project now, but also very, um, yeah, quite quite far away from, from the African wild dog. Um, there's something that I've recently been seeing you talk about on social media that I want to jump into because it's uh, it's just a really interesting topic um, and sort of very different from uh, canine specific or, or species specific research. And that's you talking all about soil health and sustainable food production, um, and which all links into the, the film Grounded by the British Soil Association, Earth Minutes, which are obviously both brilliant organisations. Um, could you kind of talk briefly about why 
soil having healthy soil is so vital but also kind of how you were personally involved in the project yeah so um i i was approached by earth minutes um a girl called emma that is you know one of the the founding members of that um, organization mm. and yeah she she approached me talking about this project that she's got going on with uh, British Society of Soil Science. And I was really interested because, you know what, it was a subject completely out of my, my depth of knowledge, but it was also very important. And I knew I could learn so much about, you know, soils. Um, I had the opportunity to go to Borneo during my, uh, my time doing my bachelor's. And we had a lecturer that, you know, specialized in, in soil science. So we had the opportunity to, you know, see that in action, you know, in a different country, country you know, to yeah. see the different pH levels of soil, the different soil types in different areas of elevation. And it just reminded me how awesome that is and how much it is at the center of all life on earth. Um, but more recently, I've just, I've been working at a farm shop um, since last year, just to you know, earn some adventure money and you know, just to keep busy. I actually work there with my girlfriend as well. They're a farm shop, local farm shop in Gloucester. And, you know, just seeing the farmers, um, you know, get all their crops online and, you know, just to see how important that is for, you know, food production. It made me realize how important soil is um, I remember the days where, you know, um, my mum would be sending barrels back home to Jamaica so we can feed, you know, our family in the Caribbean. And it just made me realise how important food is. Um, and my girlfriend's a huge advocate for not wasting food. So it just made me really appreciate it over the last, you know, couple of months and even more so last year. So, um, yeah, I've just been doing research around that. I think Grounded kind of accelerated my my interest in, you know, soil health and food security, agriculture, because my family's from a huge agricultural background in Cyprus. And, you know, I've, I've grown up seeing soil not really looking entirely great. It's always just, you know, baked dirt and, you know, there's hardly any vegetation. And it just made me realize, you know, how many other places around Earth is like this where, you know, it doesn't really sustain a lot of, you know, plant life and, you know, plant diversity. And it just makes me realize, you know, if our planet's meant to, you know, accommodate, you know, 10 billion people or more by 2050, how important soils are going to have to be, you know, to, to feed us, to, to feed the, the animals that depend on plants. So, yeah, that's... That's why I'm talking about it more often because at the end of the day, I can talk about a lot of, you know, conservation issues and you know, stuff like habitat loss. But, you know, if you don't protect the soils, um, I feel like all of that's you know, inextricably linked to life on earth. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think it's, um, I'm, I'm lucky because I was brought up in a, in a home that kind of very, you know, whether that's my my mum or my nana, always used to teach me very much about the the you know how important um, fresh food was and 
uh, you know, sustainably sourced, organic, locally produced uh, vegetables were, and you know how we grew a lot of our own vegetables still still do. Um, but I think a lot of people kind of have become, as you kind of touched on, like a lot of people are quite disconnected from where their food comes from. Um, a lot of people will pick something up in the supermarket and just not really think about, um, yeah, the the sort of story behind it. You know, if I go to Asda now as a student and I'll get like some non-organic, I don't know, carrots or something. Um, sometimes, you know, students and people who just, just, I don't know, the general, yeah, general public don't often think about that anymore. Um, and it's really interesting to kind of learn about films and projects that are kind of trying to raise awareness of that. Yeah, definitely. I remember when I was a kid and, you know, obviously my mom would cook her traditional Jamaican meals, you know, rice, meat, and veg, and all of that stuff. And you know, back then, I wasn't really thinking about, you know, waste, food waste, and all that stuff. So, if there was any rice grains left on my plate, my mum would absolutely destroy me because <laughs> rice is so important. And I've only recently just realised how much water it takes to grow like rice. Mm. A documentary I've been watching on BBC called Follow the Food really recommend it to any of your listeners if they want to learn more about um, food production and you know, food security and all of that stuff yeah thanks i'll um i'll put a link to that i've actually heard it heard of that um through a fellow student of mine so definitely have to look into that as well um something you kind of obviously you're talking about social media and uh you know sharing content on social media you have quite a big uh, presence on there. You, you definitely come across as someone who's quite positive and you're very outward going through your work on well, Instagram is the only platform I, I know you through. Um, I've asked this question a few times to different people and always got a very different answer. But how important do you think that visual storytelling and especially social media um, as a platform or as platforms are to how important is it to kind of wider global conservation um, stare, um sorry about that um sharing stories visually is, is so important at the end of the day we just have to think how how lucky we are to have that opportunity i mean our species have always been storytellers from our hunter-gatherer days and we've evolved to do so even better now with technology. Um, and, you know, it's, it, it just helps, you know, deliver important stories when you've got the right, the right narrative and the, you know, the, med the multimedia to go along with it. It helps put important issues into perspective to, into perspective for people that don't understand these issues. And if you can tell, if you can tell these stories in a way which is, you know, scientifically backed and easily, easy to digest. And you can really tell some important um, stories with people. And I've been trying my best to do so um, with the work that I do. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very passionate about the planet. I consider, you know, that we're very lucky to have, you know, planet Earth and everything that it, it provides for us. And, you know, with everything that I do, I'm not trying to win hearts. I'm just trying to change people's minds, you know, 
and um, you know, just show our natural world from a different perspective. So, you know, somebody, anybody really can just change their mind to add a little bit of goodness towards our planet. Yeah, um, that really makes sense. I think it's um, learning more and more through the work that I'm doing at university, how important science communication in any form is. And I've definitely learned from people like you on social media, but also through connecting with people on this podcast, you know, how important, yeah, communicating the value of, of the natural world is through, through to people on these sort of massive, you know, huge platforms that kind of everyone's on or, or not everyone, but you know, the vast majority of, of people on earth are now on so, some form of social media. Um, and so it can definitely be a really powerful tool. Um, I mean, talking of like positivity and kind of being a bit more, like, it's pretty hard to be optimistic at the minute in like a, it's a global pandemic and it's just, it's hard. Um, I actually recorded a, um, an episode a few weeks back where I, I tried to be more positive because I realized there was a lot of kind of harsh realities and often quite sad subjects being discussed on my podcast. And obviously, you know, harsh realities are, are all too often, unfortunately, the case with wildlife conservation. You know, we are facing a, an escalating climate and ecological emergency. Um, do you kind of struggle to stay positive? Do you have any tips for staying like hopeful about the future of wildlife? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're all human. There's, we're going to have our good days and we're obviously going to have our bad days. But I always tell myself, um, you know, whenever, whenever I feel, you know, like really crap on most days, I just remind myself that, you know, it doesn't ever last long. You know, I just compare that to whatever, whatever's happening around the world. So I'm quickly, quickly back on my feet. I'm quickly back to thinking, hopeful. And whenever that happens, I just want to share it with people because, you know, there's a lot going on. You know, some of it's really in our face and then some of it's happening in the background. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of bad things happening in conservation and you know, in the environmental sector and most of those stories are highlighted a lot in the media but if you dig deeper there is a lot of good things happening and sometimes you know it's, it's nice to share that conservation and environmental you know optimism with people just to show that you know there is actually good things happening you know take for example the amazing people that are working in Scotland to make it a real world in nation I think you actually did a podcast sorry, a podcast with, uh, with Peter. Yeah. So yeah, there's, there's a lot to be hopeful for. Um, obviously our influence on this planet has done a lot of destruction towards, you know, wildlife and nature, but, you know, I think there's, there hasn't been a better time to, you know, celebrate all the people that are, you know, fighting tirelessly to protect our planet, you know, from all ages, from all different kinds of audiences. I think we're at such a better, stage opportunity now to to try protecting the earth than we ever was back in the, in the past yeah yeah definitely i think with the i think it is hard to to kind of in the in the sort of circles that i move in the people that i know it is quite hard to say positive but as you said 
and they were at a point where we we have all this uh knowledge available to us and we're, we're certainly in a position to try and try and do something about it um i think kind of fostering hope and positivity among the younger generation is really important something that i've spoken about before you know across the podcast and social media and also something i'm a big fan of because i've, I've worked in that area for for a while now is connecting kids with the natural world from a young age i think more often than not you know children do this by themselves through their natural curiosity for nature um but but you created this kind of online character this uh pine the fox to engage a much kind of younger audience um with stories of nature could you tell me why you think projects like this are important and I guess maybe on a bigger scale, why it is so important that generations of young children don't lose their connection with nature. Yeah, I um, I created Pine the Fox because I wanted to try reach a different audience with my kind of, you know, writing you know, through conservation, you know, environmental issues and all that stuff. So um, I created my blog, Ways of the Natural World, back in 2014. And it took a long time for it to even get any recognition. And it's only started doing well the last couple of years. And I've reached quite a lot of areas in the world with some of my writing. And I'm so grateful that people, you know, was giving me their time and, and they was listening to what I wanted to share. So I figured, you know what? You know, people are actually listening now. Um, they're giving me their time. Let me try and, you know, just target some of some of the issues towards um, a different kind of audience. So I made Pine the Fox mainly because I've always been fascinated with foxes. Um, living in London, they've always been around. They've always been shy. And they, they've, they've always just intrigued me. And I get to see them down here in the the British countryside in Gloucestershire as well and yeah I just thought you know what let me make something fun and you know share some some stuff that makes them think about conservation and the environment in something that's really you know digestible um, it has a fun character almost like an avatar that they can relate to and yeah it just took took form and I've been doing it ever since so um it's just a, it's a practice run really with what I'm doing with Pine the Fox because eventually I want to start writing some children's books mm. where I can almost do the same but just pull it in book form where kids can actually you know pick it up and you know just connect to the natural world and and just have have a blast doing so. Yeah I think it's um it's so important to uh, as you say kind of like get this reach that audience in these in these times of more so much kind of digital media around there's so much more kids television programs and you know smartphone younger like everyone everywhere i see younger and younger and younger kids every year with devices you know in their hands at in on the tube or in hospitals or whatever and i think um it's kind of just yeah to to get that that book form would be really great because it's um it's something you can hold and i think that's kind of uh similar to the wider issue of, of the loss, you know, kids losing connection with nature. They're not 
outside as much. Um, there's a big problem with access to green space at the, at the same time. Um, I think there's there's some really powerful research being done quite a long time ago now that uh, showed that when uh, if, a, if a kid isn't um, kind of active in nature and if they're not loving nature and, and connected with it before the age of 12, they're unlikely to ever be. And it's the kind of same research that was connected to kind of the idea that kids who are as children who um, are engaged with nature as, as children grow up to become ch uh, adults that want to protect and help nature you know, become scientists or conservation biologists like yourself. Um, and yeah, I think that's generally a, a very important subject to talk about and get these conversations uh, going in, in a wider, in sort of the wider mainstream. Definitely. I think that that kind of research is definitely important, but um, yeah, things, things in life happen. You get distracted. I mean, I was running around as a kid in dirt and you know, chasing lizards and running on the, on the little owls wanting to perch on the, the olive trees in Cyprus. And you would you would have thought that this is the perfect scenario. This is the perfect opportunity to just make me, you know, start, you know, working with wildlife from an early age. But you know, you get distracted in life. Um, you mature, go through puberty, and, and all kinds of other stuff. So, I completely lost my my love for nature during my youth, and I actually ended up doing a completely different uh, career field altogether. I've done electrical engineering. I was an apprentice and I was doing that for maybe four or five years okay. and I just realized you know what this ain't making me happy um, I want to make a difference and stuff so I remembered that I really love nature and then yeah I ended up doing it so I see your point I know there's a lot of research but I think it just all depends on people's what people think you know at that time of their life you know depending on what age they are and if they can connect back to nature then they'll they'll um, lean towards it whenever yeah i think that's a that's a really good point to make because i i guess thinking back to i i'd say i'm not i never went through you know career change because i'm, I'm still at uni um i'm definitely uh always wanted to work with wildlife in some capacity um, but thinking back to the sort of first couple of years when after I got a smartphone, so I got a smartphone quite late in life um, when I was about 16. So compared to a lot of my peers, it was quite late. But that that kind of period before I kind of learned how distracting and damaging, like having this constant like mini computer in your pocket can be. Um, I think I definitely fell out of connection with nature I didn't go on as many walks didn't read as many books for a few years and um yeah it's definitely an important point to make there I have a love-hate relationship with technology yeah <laughs> some days I really love it. it's really useful but then again you just find yourself staring at a little square and you're like wait this ain't right <laughs> I definitely see where you're, you're coming from with the like, love-hate relationship with technology. I mean, this podcast wouldn't exist without technology. A lot of the work that I've done and a huge amount of the connections I've made have been through social media. But it's, yeah, it's definitely can drag us in sometimes and 
and uh, draw us away from from nature um, for sure. Now, I think this this is kind of one of the last kind of big questions that I wanted to ask. Um, but you you recently were talking uh, again on on social media about uh, wilderness, and I think wilderness kind of doesn't really have a solid definition in my mind. I know it does have a definition. But to my mind, it's kind of lots of people have been discovering new spots um, in their area or garden, maybe even just in their house, um, kind of new spots of nature and in their local parks during the lockdowns that we've had here in the UK and I guess across the world as well, um, that they could consider wilderness in some form. Um, To your kind of, to your mind, what is, what do you think wilderness is and kind of why is it important that we we need to retain wilderness, that we need to take care of the nature on our doorsteps. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very hard nowadays to find wilderness, even more so, well, wilderness areas, even more so in um, in the UK. I think the only you know, true wilderness that I've experienced is in a place called the Allerdale Wilderness Reserve, and that's in Inverness in Scotland, and that's just truly amazing. Um, the work that's being done there is fantastic. And I really, I really see it's got a hopeful future in terms of uh, you know, restoring biodiversity, you know, lost ecosystem and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, not everyone has the opportunity to, to travel, even more so now with COVID. So um, yeah, you gotta just try and find, you know, a plot of land, uh, a plot of nature where you can truly just, you know, connect to it you know whether it's you know leaving your phone at home and just taking your binos out and just really connecting to the stuff you would not usually do you know you know allowing yourself to you know take notice of your your senses you know your vision your smell your touch you know just i don't know where everyone's living at the moment all your your regular listeners but you know, if they have an opportunity just to explore their area and try find one of these places, it doesn't have to be a huge space. Um, just try find somewhere that's got a bit of greenery and just try tune in to, to it all. And it's really been nice. I mean, for me, fortunately, we've got um, a couple green spaces where, where we're living in Gloucester. And, you know, obviously we couldn't, we couldn't travel to many places, me and my girlfriend. So, you know, trying to find these local spots were a true haven for, for me specifically, because my girlfriend was always at work. So, um, yeah, most days I would just leave my phone at home, put my boots on, take a small bag, my binos, camera, and just go to these places and, you know, just really, really enjoy it, you know? Look at things that I don't usually look at, you know? You know, um, tip over, log to see what wildlife is you know inhabiting under there actually just listen to the birds that are all flying around in that patch of land you know just looking at it all and really just thinking you know what we truly have to save these places even if it's just a tiny plot of land because you know it just really makes us feel good and yeah i've really enjoyed it i think um I think so many people have, have as the same as you, you both, you kind of discover these new places and everyone's kind of discovering these little 
these patches of of wilderness and kind of not even just wilderness just green space around them and their sort of nature that they might not have had been given the time to explore before um i know near reading there's a place called sullen woods um really nice little patch of woodland and it's just um that was kind of hardly anyone went there it was quite well known but people were walking their dogs there occasionally but we'd always drive out very very short um route to it from our house and it's kind of just kind of um yeah go walking it was always really quiet and then uh we went back i think like a month after the first lockdown ended and there was maybe like 30 cars there like the car parks were just overflowing um and all these people i'm not sure if it's i think it's definitely can be a positive and negative um but i think definitely yeah so many people just just rediscovering or discovering these these little patches of nature that kind of do so much for us uh, especially in a time of kind of very chaotic times that no one really knows what's going on most of the time um i think these these little areas of green space on our doorstep can definitely provide like a kind of element of calm in our lives um yeah. allow us to slow down a bit um I think a this is kind of a new a new part of the podcast, but I'm putting together a little list of books that my guests recommend, um, and I'd love to know if you have a favourite book relating to conservation or science or wildlife that you could tell my listeners about. Yeah, um, I think this is probably a book that many people have um, heard of, but it's called uh, Wilding, and it's by Isabella Tree, and it's just. Mm highlighting some of their accomplishments that they have you know um achieved at their at their place in uh, west sussex um called uh, the net wildland project and they've literally just they've had farmland for many years and they've just given it back to nature and slowly but surely they've just re you know realized that so many wildlife have come back to the place and it's just fantastic um, I actually had the opportunity to visit the, the the place as well back in 2020, and it's just really nice. It's a really good, great book. It shows conservation um, success here in the UK, and what can actually be achieved once you, um, you know, you just take consideration of nature and you know work with it instead of working against it. And it's really, it's really a great book. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I was really hoping someone would share that at some point, actually, because it is um, a great project to to read about. And I think I'm only about halfway through the book. Um, I think I, yeah, it, I found it quite hard to get into at first with the the sort of the first kind of, I, th I guess, third is just a, a lot of um, really interesting tree, like all about trees and how uh, sort of the science behind a lot of ancient oak oakland and, and areas like that but it is um once you get into it it's a it's a really incredible book and the, just the story um nep's definitely a high on my my bucket list of places in the uk to visit um once it's all safe to do so of course and um sorry what, what you're saying i highly recommend going there yeah yeah thank you i'm uh i'm definitely i was planning to in 2020 but yeah plans plans had to change quite rapidly as you can imagine um i think so before we finish 
we're just going to do a little quick fire round, um, if that's all right. It's just like four quick questions that I ask all my guests. So first off, what's your favourite animal? Oh man, that's a no-brainer. African um, wild dogs, dude. Where is a place you like to go and connect with nature? Somewhere like the place outside that you feel most at home? Uh, we've got a, a local nature reserve to us. It's called Aoni Island Nature Reserve. And it's really nice. Um, it's quite a big, big spot. Um, loads of different ecosystems going on there. And I can imagine a lot of wildlife, even more so when spring finally arrives. So yeah, I like going there. It's quite a little walk and you know, on a good day, you can get to see some, some nice animals there. Um, nice birds as well. So yeah, yeah. Do you have a conservation hero? Yeah, I mean, I have two. I know I have many. It grow, it kind of grows, but Steve Owen, the late Steve Owen was always my conservation idol. And Sir David Attenborough. Was it, was it Steve Irwin's birthday recently? It was, yeah. Yeah, because uh, I was watching a video about, have you heard the, I don't know if it's been confirmed yet or not, but the rumours about the thiazoline? Yeah, I don't know what to make of that because they've been, they've been, there's been rumours of that for many years. And, mm. you know, once stuff goes on social media like that without any core evidence, it just kind of, it's really hard to believe. Like, you need footage of that properly yeah uh, believe it but i mean if if it is true that would be in, absolutely incredible it would yeah so for for context my listeners um just briefly interrupting the, the quick fire round but it's uh something that got me quite excited earlier but obviously that's you know it's not been proven yet um that the tasmanian tiger or thiazoline was, was thought to be discovered again uh, after i think went extinct or declared extinct in the 1930s um, some some guy got camera trap photos, so not actually footage of it, which makes it harder to verify. Uh, but a couple of people at museums are taking a look at it at the minute, so we might know at some point. But yeah, definitely resonate with what you're saying about the kind of um, yeah social media. Very hard to distinguish what is fact and fiction um, for sure. Um, last off with the quick fire round, uh, how do you take your coffee? Flat white with oat milk, dude. Best. Um, I guess, yeah, that, that's kind of it, really. The, all that's left to say is just thanks so much for taking up your time and talking about some really important, insightful and, and varied topics. No worries at all. It was a pleasure. Um, thank you. Thanks again to Tolga for taking the time to speak to me. All the links to his social media will be in the description. So today I'll be featuring Triple Co Coffee. Triple Co are a brilliant company based in Bristol. Their mission is threefold, hence the triple name. Their aims are to roast high quality coffee beans in small batches, to buy green coffee via direct trade with bean farmers, and to focus on having amazing roaster to customer relations. Transparency is a core value for Triple Co, and they have an open access roastery. When it's safe to do so again, I can't wait to pop over to Bristol and visit them. You can find out more about the details of this particular coffee, which comes from Nicaragua, through the link in the episode description. If you feel like you've learned anything of value from the podcast, please consider supporting me through a one-off donation on Kofi. This means I can buy ethically sourced coffee, expand my storytelling toolkit, and support local and indigenous coffee growing companies and any contributors to the podcast. 
Coffee with Conservationists is now available on Spotify, Anchor, Google and Apple Podcasts and a few more places. We will be taking a short break before the start of Season 3 and more information will be announced in the coming days over on our Instagram at Coffee with Conservationists. As ever, thank you all so much for listening. I've been your host, George Steedman jones and this is the Coffee with Conservationists podcast. Thank you.